you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast, Powell on the clock. The final decision this year on rates just hours away. But one top market watcher says investors are paying too much attention to rates and not enough to attention to the Fed's other big tool. Plus, Merck and Moderna's moonshot, the promising results from a new treatment for skin cancer that combines immunotherapy and mRNA technology, the off-the-chart stock reaction coming up. And later, another Tesla tumble. The stock down 10% in two days and roughly 40% this quarter is the dented EV maker opening the door for the rest of the industry to catch up. And fresh troubles for TikTok. Two more states taking action against the app and a new bipartisan call to ban it. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live from the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Steve Grasso, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Bono and Eisen. And we start off with the market's post-CPI roller coaster. The Dow giving up most of a 700-plus point gain as investors digested what a better-than-expected inflation report could mean for the Fed's decision tomorrow. After dipping into the red a few times during the session, the index closed up just 100 points. The, Dow, uh, the Nasdaq fared somewhat better, rising over a percent, though it had been up nearly 4% at its highs of the day. The S&P also holding on to gains. But take a look at the move in Treasuries. This is interesting. The yield in the two-year falling to its lowest level in over two months. So how does this all tell us uh, ahead of the Fed's decision tomorrow? The 10-year yield guy also moved lower, and the dollar index had a big move, too. Yeah, and I think the last day and a half, at least yesterday and a half of today, is what Steve had been talking about in terms of this face-ripping rally into year-end. You saw glimpses of it, obviously, this morning when the S&P was up 120 handles, seemingly, in my opinion, just in a flash. What does it say? Well, let's just break it down quickly. Ten-year yields going lower suggest a market that's slowing down. It does not suggest that the Fed has your back. I don't think they do. And to your earlier point in the tease, you talked about maybe interest rates in the Federal Reserve shouldn't be in our purview anymore. You're probably right. It should be about earnings and earnings growth. And this market, to me, does not have the wherewithal, does not have the tailwind to get you the earnings and the earnings growth you need to actually have a commensurate uh, multiple level at 18 and a half. We should be at a lower multiple level and we should be anticipating lower earnings, which to me means the market goes down. Can I insert this one thought? Absolutely. Your show. Uh, That's true. (laughs) For a long time now. Very. I mean, like more than a decade. Anyway. Um, what if what if soft landing is much more possible? What if this deflationary trend now, because it's not just October one off, it's an October plus a November and then possibly some more yep. signals that we are going to have a soft landing. And so therefore, earnings estimates don't have to be ratcheted down so much. Listen, the stock market is telling you the base case is for a soft landing, right? And right. it's telling you that on the next dip, uh, the next retest of those recent lows from October or whatever, that we probably hold because at that point, we kind of discount that, that kind of earnings drop off that guy's talking about here. Rates have kind of come down. We know that the inflation readings are coming down. I mean, that's kind of the base case right here. I guess, and, and I've said this a little bit. I mean, Steve, you had, you've had a nice call. We're 17.5% off the lows. I don't think any of us were pressing the lows back in October. The sentiment 
sentiment felt really bad. The difference now is that sentiment is too hopeful, right, at this point. When you think about the fact that, you know, yes, we've had these rate increases. The pace of the rate increases is slowing down, but the rate is going to stay high. And then all of the other effects working in the economy. I'm no economist, okay, but I look at markets. I've been doing this for a bit. We all have here. And really with this S&P where it is right now, right around 4,000, does not encapsulate, in my opinion, what is likely to be something a little worse than the base case scenario. At least the fear has to work itself into the stock market. It's just not there. What happens if we don't stay higher for longer? What do you mean? What, what, so right. that's the base case right now is that we're higher for longer. Right. But what happens if inflation comes in precipitously? And then we pivot? Like he, the Fed takes it back or we just Yeah, I, th- I, think, I, I think we could stay. When you say higher for longer, I think we could stay higher than zero. Uh-huh. But I don't think we have to stay at four and a half, five. Well, Powell's saying that, though. Isn't that what he said last yes. week at Brookings? He said, I think what you guys are misunderstanding is that we're not going to pivot or this. We're just going to leave them up here. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we're going to stop. The yeah, increases. but leave them up here at, at four and a half, five. Yeah. What, what I'm saying is what happens if they don't leave them up there at four and a half, five? What happens if they leave them up there at two, two and a half? But then you're, two you're and saying half, three. that they do pivot and then, and then remain high. They're going to. Because if you look at these inflation swaps, they have the Fed funds rate being higher than inflation by May. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then the Fed doesn't have to raise anymore. We're so close to it. So if they don't have to raise, they leave them at four and a half, five for a bit, the market turns, then they could start cutting rates pretty quickly. So I don't think anyone's thinking about that just yet. Right. Well, but can I just say one thing? Uh-huh. But they won't have to cut rates. If inflation comes down faster than you think, you know what I mean? Like, you, you have this situation where the, the real rate is lower. You know, right. you know what I mean? So, like, I, listen, something really bad would have to happen for them to why actually they, cut why rates. Would, why would they leave it? I, I, we're just trying to think through this, right? So because why, they wanted why to normalize they, rates back in 2018, right? But if, if inflation right? now is at 3% yeah. or 3.5%, why would they leave them at 45 or 5 Well, what, what, what would be the reason in which they would cut them? You would have to have a severe... Because like, now weakness. they're creating a more severe downturn. Yeah, but Guy would tell you he's been waiting for this thing to normalize for yeah. a very long time, that the unusually low rates in a right. low inflationary environment has been the cocktail for almost every asset bubble that we've had over the last 25 years. Bonoin, come in here, break up this fight. What do you think? Uh, I, I'm no referee. I'm going to let them duke it out, but um, <laughs> I think they both make some good points. I mean, they, they are going at it, and I'm going to let them have it. Uh, listen, I, I do think that if you're in a situation where you end up pivoting, it is because we're in a much more dire situation than the market is pricing in. My second thing that I'll posit is that the, the terminal rate, from Fed funds at least, is now implying a lower rate, right? Why? Is it because quantitative, quantitative tightening, which I believe Steve brought up last show, is also going to have this contracting effect on the market? And then the third thing is, where are we really with GDP? Where are we with GDP as it pertains to terminal rates? If we get the 3 3.5% growth that they're calling for in Q4, then I think there's a situation where these rates are, in fact, going to stay higher for longer. I think people are now starting to look forward to that and try to come up with some cocktail of pivoting or staying, or if we are going to keep the terminal rate uh, at a plateau, that it's going to be lower. You know my camp, I'm definitely not in either of those. I don't believe any of those are the situation. I do think there is an earnings recession that is looming, but there is also that same situation where you have Fed funds lower and you're seeing the the rest of assets being priced on the back of that. 
Can we get a shot of Seagrass? Like he's okay. turning bright red. So, as his phone yeah. went off, it was the loudest <laughs> ring in Fast Money. Well, you know what the, the problem is? That that's the, it's on. one of my children, so I have it bypassing the silent mode so that right. I, oh, so I, I never miss a call. Now I might have to turn off the phone. ignore. What do we do every night at 4.59? We turn off our phones. So we, 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 turn do you off. turn them off or put I, them on I, silent? I personally, I silent. do. Silent. Yeah. Real quick, silent. I love Bono and shirt and tie match that bar graph, number one. It was fascinating <laughs> to watch. Number two, <laughs> so off the in term, it's, it is off the reservation. In terms of why I don't think they this can happen the way mm-hmm. Steve, and listen, it very well may, but look what happened in commodities today, which is the thought that potentially this Federal Reserve is going to slow things down. The commodities market traded higher. Precious metals traded higher. Energy traded higher. So go back to Peter Bookvar's note today. They want to avoid that 1972, which I happen to remember vividly, 1973 mistake, when they had thought they had defeated inflation, and it only came back in spades the, in 73. The only, the only reason why I say it, though, is that this is brought on because of the pandemic, because of supply chain issues, because of all the ton of money that was thrown. So we've never done this. So comparing it to something else... I don't know if we can do that okay, just but, yet. But let's say the Fed does pivot. Don't you think the market will rally? Don't you think that will ignite another yeah. round potentially of inflation? So why would the Fed do that? It goes all this way. No, he's not, he's not going to. He's never going to telegraph it. They're never going to tell her. He's never. Tomorrow he's not going to tell us that he's going to pivot. Tomorrow he's going to tell, tell us it's higher for longer. Right. Um, that we ha- we want to make sure that we kill everything. We kill growth. We kill everything. So he's going to tell you negative. I don't think he's going to say, so you're talking about pivoting. What I'm saying is, if we get to a point within the market where inflation Mm -hmm. is lower than the Fed's funds rate, what is the point? That's what they want to get to that. Okay, so here's my question tonight. What does does a 10-year yield tell us then? Because we saw tech stocks, we saw growth stocks, we saw big cap tech stocks rise on on the back of rates today. But what is this really telling us? Lower a lower 10 year yield. It's telling that the economy is slowing down in a precipitous fashion. Okay. And it's telling you people are plowing into those names for obvious reasons because that's a knee jerk reaction. This is something that Carter Worth talked about about a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. He said you could see a scenario where rates go lower, dollar goes lower, stocks rally in the short term until they realize slower growth is not bullish for the market. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing there. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, maybe they can pull this up. Look at the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield over the last, let's say, 20 years or so. It's upper left, bottom right. It got to zero. No one thought it was ever going to get to zero. You see, you know, we we were at 6% in 2000 at the top. We were 5% in 2007 at the top. 2018, we got to three and a quarter or something like that. Then we went to zero. Here we are. We're back at this kind of 4.3. It probably settles out somewhere between three and four, and it would really take another sort of black swan event for the Fed to, given where the balance sheet is and their inability probably to roll it off meaningfully from this $9 trillion mark, they're probably going to have to leave rates much higher than zero. You know, I mean, it's just going to be the case. So then it comes down to inflation, and we all knew this. We debated over what the the term of uh, transitory meant or this. We all knew it was going to go away. Whether it was three months, whether a year and three months, it was going to happen. And then we get back to all of those disinflationary forces that we're worried about, technology and globalization and all that other stuff. So to me, I don't know, at the end of the day, I mean, rates are going to stay higher probably for longer. I believe Jay Powell on this. So what did today's action tell us potentially about the reaction the markets will have to Jerome Powell tomorrow? If he's negative and puts a wet blanket on the idea, the market obviously believes that there's going to be a pivot or a pause. That's what we saw today. So if he puts a wet blanket on that, the market will sell off. I don't think he's going to put a complete wet blanket on that. So I do believe that we will rally into year end. It's just how far will it go? Yeah. Bonwin? 
get get ready for a wet blanket. I mean, I, we've seen this time and time again. The market wants to interpret what they what they have. I'm sorry, it's winter, but the warmth is not coming. I think Powell is going to hammer home the fact that the fight against inflation is not over, and he wants to make sure that he at least makes that rhetoric clear so that the market can participate so that he doesn't have to make an exacerbated move and cause more pressure to the downside. Yeah, I'll just say this. I mean, like, listen, we had the data. We had a 3% rip on that. We had yields come in. If Jay Powell comes in and says the exact same thing that he mm-hmm. said two weeks ago, I don't think the market's going to get hit really hard on just that. I think investors are going to start getting really smart to this. They're going to start following the data, not what he says. Okay, And I think that's really important as we work our way into 2023. But quickly, in January, we're going to start to see Q4 earnings and 2023 um, guidance for companies. And that's also the data that you're going to want to watch because all of the major five, you know, five major companies that make up nearly 25% of the S&P and 40% of the Nasdaq, they all guided down for the current quarter and kind of missed on the last one. I don't think that's a one quarter thing. So I think that the market and expectations for 2023 earnings is probably what takes it down. And that's going to be counterbalancing the fact that we're just going to see increasingly weaker inflationary readings. All right. Uh, for more on inflation and the Fed, let's bring in Savita Subramanian, head of U.S. equity and quantitative strategy at B of A Securities. Savita, great to see you. Um, I, I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked the traders just a few minutes ago, and, and that is what does the 10-year yield tell us? Because you say that is actually the key determinant in terms of the direction of, of markets, not Fed funds rates, but the, but the 10-year yield. Yeah, I mean, our, our premise has been that this laser focus on the Fed is really misplaced because what's more important for, for equity performance, and in particular for the S&P and the NASDAQ, is the long end of the curve. So everyone's hoping for a pivot, praying for a pivot. I don't know if this makes sense on the short end because what we've found is that historically the worst time to be in equities is when credit conditions are tighter and the Fed is easing. It smacks of desperation. And our view is that we are going to be in a tightening credit condition environment in the first half of next year. Now, look, I mean, one thing we're realizing is that everyone is bearish now. I mean, the, the world is talking about everything that can go wrong. Everyone thinks earnings are too high. So I do think that there are, are you know, reasons to be invested in this market, and you can't be out of equities completely. But I think that the focus on inflation and the Fed is likely to shift towards the real economy, to real rates, to growth prospects. Um, I think inflation is going to remain high and stickier than, than folks are, are currently penciling in. I mean, I think what's interesting is that the market right now, and I would love to hear what, what everyone on the panel thinks, but the market right now is pricing in very low inflation, a reversion back to like the 2% um, you know, heyday that we had for the last 10 years. And I don't think that's the case anymore. I think we're in a reset where inflation is going to stay a little bit higher. Let's call it four to five percent for a longer period of time. So those are the things I think we need to brace ourselves for and think about as we move into 2023. You know, the idea that we're not in the same, this isn't the same show that we watched for the last 10 years. We don't so, just want so to break for Savita, I've heard you. I've heard yeah. you talk about the new leadership. Once we do come out of this, is never the same as the old leadership. So, but yeah. we're we're looking at technology now that doesn't have the same multiples that they had during the tech bubble. So, is it the same yeah. thing that you could say back then as it is now? Look, I think tech is a value trap. I mean, I think it looks 
cheap because prices are falling faster than analysts are taking down earnings expectations. It has all the hallmark characteristics of a value trap. And we saw this with financials in 2007, 2008. Financials was dirt cheap and everybody thought, okay, it's time to step in. But it wasn't because it was just a reset. It was the question of, are these earnings actually supportable? And I think for technology companies, they're facing a lot of headwinds that were tailwinds in the last cycle. They're going from globalization and a frictionless supply chain environment to protectionism. And, uh, you know, they need to spend a lot of capex to move stuff back to the U.S. or outside out of China. Um, Tech companies are also facing more regulatory risk. I mean, when you look at data privacy issues and, you know, regulatory issues that are starting to, uh, to creep up for the sector, you know, it's not necessarily this, uh, this, the sector that it was over the last 20 years. So I think valuations should be lower. And I also think that earnings expectations are too high. So, you know, I guess I look at valuations with a, a several hefty spoonfuls of salt for the technology sector. And I think that um, maybe that's not the factor to pay attention to right now. Savita, we're putting up your year-end price tracker for 2023, which which makes it look like we're going to be just about flat. But um, give us sort of the the nuance, the the curves, and et cetera, of, of what this next trading year you think will be like. Yeah, look, I think there's going to be a better entry point for the S&P 500 over the next, let's call it, six months. And when exactly that moment is, I think the factors you want to watch are earnings expectations. And one of the things that we're noticing is that right now, the earnings revision ratio is falling. Analysts are taking down earnings, but we think that there's a lot more to go. The worst time to be in the equity market is when the revision ratio is falling and analysts are continuing to cut. The best time to be in the equity market is when the revision ratio is below average, hits that trough, and starts to move higher. So I would watch earnings. I would watch just, you know, if, if companies give negative guidance for 2023, analysts take their numbers down, maybe I would wait another quarter and see how companies do relative to that conservative guidance and whether that guidance was conservative enough. So I think we need to kind of move into maybe after 1Q earnings or, you know, amid 1Q earnings in order to get a read on whether we've reset expectations mm-hmm. relative to the new world that we live in. Um, you know, and then I think, so, so, you know, to answer your question, sorry, I think the market could go down and then up. But the problem is everybody thinks that, so it'll probably do the opposite. Um, <laughs> here's, here's, the, here's the idea. If you want to be in equities for the next 10 years, you can buy today and you will make money. If you want to be in equities for the next five years, be selective, but you will probably make money. If you want to own equities for the next six months, I would be very, very selective. I would look for, uh, for income. I would look for defense. And I would look for companies that are likely to uh, continue to benefit from this rotation. Energy, you would think that it would be super crowded at this point, given how mm-hmm. great it's done this year. Right. But it is still a big underweight. I think energy's got a lot more to go. Savita, thanks so much. Thanks for breaking it down in terms of time frame. We appreciate that. Savita Supermanian, Bank of America, which all the, all this gets back to, Guy, the point that you're making, the point that we've collectively, I think, have been making probably since the third quarter, that we haven't seen that reset happen yet. No. And we're still waiting for that reset to happen. And we saw thought that it would... 
I mean, it started to happen, but not as much as it needs to happen. And it would be healthy when and if it does happen. And what she was talking about, Savito, does extraordinary work. And Dan can speak to this. I mean, this is Dan Benton 101 stuff. If you go back and look at his 20-whatever rules of investing from the early 1980s, you don't buy these stocks when they're starting to lower numbers. And that's exactly right. A lot of these names... I'll give you a good example. If our crack staff can put up an NVIDIA chart over the last six months, that stock has rallied 55% from the October low. It's still down probably 50% from its all-time high. But given this run, it is still a very expensive stock. So what are you asking yourself? Earnings revisions have to come down. Valuations have to come down. And the number of dollars you'll pay for those earnings, in my opinion, needs to come down. Yeah, I'll just say this. While, you know, the S&P's down 15.5%, the NASDAQ's down maybe 27%. And, you know, again... Think about the returns that we had over the last two years. This just doesn't feel that bad. And I know it's been upper left, bottom right, series of lower highs and lower lows. I guess my point is I think the worst is yet to come. I don't mean like we're going to have, you know, like a crash, like down 50 percent like we had in 07 or in 2000, the S&P 500. I feel like the fear. We haven't had the fear yet. And I think that's the thing that we need to see more of this kind of FTX stuff. We need to see more of these companies go to zero like Carvana. We need to see more of the excess come out of the market. We need to sediment to get really bad, and we need the estimates to like what Guy and Savita were just saying to kind of back it all up and actually overshoot to the downside and create a scenario where there can be unusual value by taking risk when things feel bad. That has not happened yet in 2022, in my opinion. Coming up, a big day for one biotech stock. Shares of Moderna skyrocketing on promising cancer vaccine trials. What this breakthrough may mean next, plus a Boeing blow. United in the red after a big Dreamliner order and the rest of the space losing altitude as well. We're boarding this trade when Fast Money returns. Back in two. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out this monster move in shares of Moderna. The drug maker soaring nearly 20% after the company issued promising data for its skin cancer vaccine. Moderna's experimental melanoma drug combined with cancer's uh, Merck's cancer treatment, Keytruda, cut the risk of recurrence or death by 44% compared with the treatment of only Keytruda. It was the stock's best day since March 2020. Merck shares also higher on the day, up more than 40% this year. Despite Moderna's move higher today, shares are still down pretty big this year, but this could be uh, really important for this cancer, which is fairly common, Steve. Yeah, this, this is something, well, first of all, to have them associated with something other than COVID mm-hmm. is a win for the stock. As far as just granular, the disease, I mean, this is amazing stuff. So you want to see these things type, these type of things happen. I think for the entire space, I think the entire space is going to be moving higher, continue to move that way. Yeah. Oh, by the way. That's my line. Oh, by the way, I say that a lot. I you guess you're in my, my I'm always in head. your head. Um, Bonsell, the CEO of Moderna, was on Squawk Box this morning. and He was asked if his company uh, would provide the COVID vaccine to China if they asked. Listen to what he said. Of course, we are actually actively talking to the authorities. I cannot comment on those discussions, obviously, as we're talking to a sovereign. But we want to help people around the world to fight this virus. As you know, we have the vaccine that shows the, the best protection against hospitalization. And so we want, of course, to help. So there's that, too. Huge market for that COVID vaccine. Healthcare should be above politics without question. That's the correct answer, by the way. Real quickly, 185, 190. Go back to August and look where Moderna topped out. Actually, the chart's right there. It was this level here. Traded about five times normal volume. So I'm not suggesting you chase this into the rally. I will say, though, that when Merck was a $72, $73 stock, full disclosure, my wife's worked there for quite some time. Both Karen and Tim talked about how undervalued it was. It's rallied 50% or so since, and it's probably still worth looking at here. So I think you fade Moderna. I think you stay with Merck. Yeah. Bonwin, where you stand? You know what? I, I don't think I'm so negative on Moderna. I think really, like you're seeing that the target adjustable market is much larger now. Like, again, as Steve has said, this was largely associated with just COVID vaccination. Now that you're seeing a use case, and we need to see follow through from the phase two trials, but now that you're seeing a use case for like a very large ailment, I think, you know what? You, you might want to stick with this thing. Now, is it going to get back to 400, the, the pre-pandemic levels, or sorry, the, the pandemic highs? I think, listen, we're a long way from that. But in terms of it being a, a more sustainable uh, uh, portion of your portfolio and having a real use, I think that's actually something to take a second look at. All right. There's a lot more Fast Monday to come. Here's what's coming up next. Talk about cabin pressure, airlines losing altitude. So will the plane problems hurt your portfolio? The traders are fastening their seatbelts for this trade next. Plus, auto opportunity. Tesla troubles could be opening the door for other automakers. Could the EV space get charged up? The details ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. United Airlines losing altitude today, down almost 7% after the company announced a deal with Boeing to buy up to 200 787 Dreamliners, the biggest ever wide-body order by a U.S. carrier. Other major airlines also lower today after JetBlue warned it is seeing softer demand this month and expects Q4 revenue to come in at the low end of guidance. Other travel names like Airbnb, Booking, Expedia also finishing in the red. So should investors brace for more turbulence in this travel trade. I thought it was also interesting within the, the CPI numbers, there was deflation within hotel rates, Guy. So yeah. There's pressure everywhere. Go back to the April. I mean, when these all these names, the airlines sort of made a huge run into the spring. And since April 15th or so, a series, and I mean four or five, lower lows, lower highs. And today's just another manifestation of that. People will talk about them. I'm being one of them. Delta's great on valuation, great balance sheet, all true. The stocks have been really difficult to, to own and hold over the last six or seven months. They will find a level. You'll get some capitulatory move. I don't think you saw it yet. Quickly, in terms of Boeing, which I think a lot of people love now, again, not a cheap stock at 47 times next year's numbers. Wow. They need to grow into that valuation. When I say grow into that valuation, they have to go two and a half times what current earnings are to have them reasonable valuation-wise. Yeah, I had a, a bearish Jets trade on that's ETF that tracks the sector. I actually took it off today because, again, you have that kind of awareness. They closed pretty, pretty low. It's probably some bad trading. I was kind of happy to be out of it. I'll just say this anecdotally. You know, I went to Europe a few times this summer, and, and the, and the uh, fares were Fancy. no, they were sky high. They were sky high. <laughs> Last night I was out to dinner right. with a friend of mine who uh-huh. goes to London like every other week. He said oh, the prices are aim dro- trip dropper for business. He yeah. said they're plummeting. He said the, oh, really? the, the, the fares are plummeting. And, and I just think that's really interesting. Put that together with what OPEC just said this morning right. about demand for crude, and you say to yourself, something's kind of going on here. Right. Bookings, Expedia, they all had some stuff about, to say here. It's about here, global so. recession. It's about a recession here. So it's, it's reacting. And it's been, to your point, about fuel. So fuel has been high. So there's been tremendous headwinds. But taking it back to the news of the day, I thought within that 787 Dreamliner, is it 787? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful no. plane. But the 737 Max, they also reordered those. That's horrible a big deal. Plane. It could be a horrible plane, but yeah. there's, a, there's an association that this used to be a terrible plane, but now they're ordering them. So we're over that hump right. again. So positive for Boeing that you have to navigate through potential recession. But I also think that these names probably could go higher. But we have to get through that global issue that you just referred Which to. Which brings us to the, uh, you know, once upon a time, airlines used to spend a lot of money, mm-hmm. rack up all sorts of debt just when the economy was turning south, Bono. And it feels like we may be entering <laughs> that chapter of the airline industry once again. I mean, granted, they cleaned up their act a lot during the pandemic. They had to. But are we back to where we started well, they were fighting for survival there, without a doubt. I, I think you make a really good point. I mean, um, anecdotally, yeah, I think it's positive for Boeing there as they try to shore up free cash flow and kind of get the turnaround story there. I think the airlines have lagged that a little bit. For one, you know, one, if you look at the November reading, you're seeing that airline airfares were up, I think, mid-30s, 33 34%. They've been able to sequentially raise prices to help shore up free cash flow and to service that debt. I think there comes a point where you're unable to continue to, ri- to raise prices, and then you need to pull other levers in order for for, for them to kind of stay afloat. And I, so I think the price action, amongst other things,
things. Clearly, the JetBlue announcement today is also reflective of the situation that they have more challenging balance sheets, although they're getting in better shape. They're still, the enterprise values are still quite bloated at this point. Coming up, could Tesla's pain lead to gains for other automakers? Former Ford CEO Mark Fields joins us here on set to lay out what is in store for the EV space, why the next two years are crucial for the industry. And the FTX fallout continues as former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried is arrested on criminal charges. The latest on those charges and the details from today's FTX hearing when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on today's market action. Stocks closing higher, but well off their highs of the session. The Dow jumping more than 100 points. The S&P up three quarters of a percent. And the Nasdaq leading the gains with a, a rise of one percent. Energy seeing a nice jump today, up nearly two percent as crude oil continues to bounce back above 75 bucks a barrel. Crude now up nearly six percent so far this week. And a few stocks hovering near all-time highs. Ulta, once again, PepsiCo, Cigna, and Boston Scientific all trading near records. Well, Tesla's taking a tumble again today after dropping another 4%. It's now down nearly 40% in the fourth quarter, putting it on pace for its worst quarter ever. And take a look at this. Over the last two years, Tesla has shed more than a fifth of its value. GM, meantime, is down just 7%, and Ford is up 50%. So as Tesla's troubles open the door for legacy names to get in on this EV boom, let's welcome CNBC contributor Mark Fields. Mark was formerly the Ford CEO and most recently interim Hertz CEO. He still sits on the board there. Mark, great to have you in the house here at the NASDAQ market site. Um, What do you think? Do you think that Tesla's stumbles, do you think that Tesla's reputational damage, the recent polls saying that the negative comments are slightly eking out the positive view of Tesla, all that will help GM and Ford in this EV race? Well, I think on balance, you have to look at this relatively and saying, listen, on balance, is it a net positive? Is it a net neutral and a net negative? And when you look at Tesla, you know, first and foremost, they are a battery and technology company that happens to make cars. That's a big advantage. They have a big first mover advantage there. That being said, they got a lot of challenges, right? Demand, we've heard about China slowing down, whether it's COVID or demand, we'll see. Uh, Here in the US, you know, they they had 100% share starting, so it can only go down. Uh, But it is going down, but importantly, under $50,000, they don't have a product. That's where the growth is going to be going forward as you shift from early adopters to mass adoption. So that's gonna be a challenge for them. And then you have the whole situation around the CEO focused. I mean, in the auto industry, you know, it's a 24-7 job. And you're focusing every day on your team around the world. How do you improve efficiency? How do you improve sales? How do you improve the product? And with Elon Musk, he's got a lot of balls in the air. And then you have to ask the question, because, you know, it was a startup that now has grown to the volume that it has, not every decision can come up to the CEO as it has. So you have to ask yourself the question, what's the decision making there if the boss isn't there full time? So we were chatting during the break and and I wanna give the audience a glimpse at at how a former auto CEO researches another auto company. You went on the Tesla website and what did you find and what did that tell you about Tesla? Well, when you look at demand, I mean, a year ago, uh, it took nine months if you wanted to specifically order a Tesla. Uh, I hopped on the website today, 
inventory that's available, you can literally get a Tesla in the next couple of days. And oh, by the way, they're giving a $3,750 bonus if you take it before the end of the year. Now, if you specifically order one, they're saying in the next you know, 60, 60 days or so, you can have your, your Tesla. So that's saying something about you know, the demand uh, for the product going forward. But that being said, they're going to continue to grow because the whole industry is going to shift towards EVs. So even as their share comes down, and he's going to have some issues, they're still going to grow. So it's not the end of the world for them. Mark, in 22 years ago, Ford was a $14 stock. It's rallied. It's a $14 stock today. GM, you can make the same argument. Why doesn't the street reward these companies for being better companies than they were five, even 10 years ago? Well, you know, that, that, that is a frustration. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I think investors are looking at the established automakers and saying, listen, for, for many, many years, you know, you basically weren't value creators. But since the Great Recession, you know, you look at Ford, you look at obviously GM and Chrysler, now Stellantis as they've come out of bankruptcy, et cetera. Uh, they've created a lot of value since the depths of where their stocks were. Their balance sheets are strong. The, the management teams are battle tested from the Great Recession and things of that nature. What we couldn't get credit for is all the investments we were making in EVs and the software content on our vehicles, because there's my view, there was always a view, hey, you know, you're a manufacturer. Can you really get that? And I think a lot of the companies are proving that they can. You know, you look at Ford with their Mach-E, their F-150 Lightning, their Transit. You know, these are really, really good products that have a lot of software content, their EVs. And at some point, you know, I would think the market is going to reward that, particularly in an environment where we're coming off, you know, startup companies that were rewarded with, you know, a prototype and a business plan, and they got a multiple three times what the established OEMs were. So, Mark, you know, obviously big personalities have been associated for 100 years with the auto industry. We had the, the Henry Ford, we had like Lee Iacocca, you had some of these guys or whatever. So, you know, Elon Musk is, is obviously playing off a lot of that. And I think that there's been a lot of enthusiasm about him and what he's been able to do in the auto industry, pushing it faster towards, you know, EVs. But when you think about the stock right now, and obviously you think about the stock a little bit here, it sounds like, um, you know, it's down about 60% in the last year. It's lost more than a half a trillion dollars in market cap and it just closed at a new two-year low today, and you think to yourself, there was a time where if we woke up to an announcement that Elon Musk is no longer the CEO of Tesla, the stock would gap down 20%. At this point, it really feels like it might gap up 20%. Talk to me about the cult of Elon Musk in and around this story. Well, at the end of the day, if you look at the composition of ownership of Tesla stock, it has a large retail portion. And so a lot of people bought into, you know, Elon does a great job. He, he's done a terrific job of moving the industry towards EVs. There's no question about that. And build a very strong brand in the process. Uh, but they bought into his, his story about growth going forward. Um, now what you have is a situation where, you know, growth is a bit questioned, right? Given that they have all this capacity coming online and four plants around the world and what's going on with the marketplace. But I think the other thing is he is so associated, as a CEO, he is so associated with that brand um, that the positions that he's taking on social and political things, on balance, that is a net negative for a company. I mean, when I was running Ford or any CEO today, you have to pick and choose what either social or political issues you dive into. And they have to be very uh, tied to your values as a company. And maybe it's one, maybe it's twice a year, but no more than that. But if you're diving in on every single thing and, you know, you got opinions on all sides, 
that is going to hurt the brand image in some form or fashion. Mark, thanks for coming by. Come by anytime. Mark Fields. Thanks. NBC contributor. All right. Here's here is the question, though, ultimately. Uh, Tesla is trading at a forward P.E. that is the lowest ever. We have not seen this forward P.E. ever in all of Tesla's history. So would you rather, Steve Grasso, mm. Tesla or Ford? Well, it's interesting you say that. I think I think because it's been so beaten up, I would have to go with Tesla. And what Mark said about being able to get a car in six days or a month, isn't that a, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that a supply chain tailwind right now? I'm, I'm going to go Tesla's been so beaten up. I'll go with Tesla for 500, Jack. <laughs> Who's Jack? I don't, I don't know. know. Not me. I don't know. Bonoin, what do you say? Uh, yeah, I'm on the same page. I, uh, from both, particularly from a trading standpoint, I just think one, it's a higher beta name. It's come off so much. Whether you know you buy into the Elon story and his distractions and things of that nature, I still think there's a massive retail following. It's still a strong product, and at the end of the day, consumer brands are about brand loyalty. And I still think there is, despite the brand erosion that's happened there, there is still a loyal following there. So you know, particularly for a trade, it would be Tesla for me. Gee, I wonder what Dan thinks. Yeah, I, I disagree with all of that. I think the brand stuff's getting worse. I actually think there's a very good chance that he's not going to be the CEO um, of this company a year from now. And I also think that that ultimately might near term be a positive. It might release some pressure on, I think, longer term. That's what kind of makes the valuation come back in line with some of its peers, especially as they are gaining market share. So to me, I, if you're telling me over the next five years, I'd much rather be long Ford than Tesla. You want to see how we tie a ribbon around things here? How on, do you do it? On CNBC's Fast it? Money 5 o'clock. Argentina won today. They beat Croatia. Yes. Mark Fields ran Ford's operation in Argentina in 1986. Look at that just neat little package for Wikipedia. you. Wikipedia. It's amazing. Those are just random yeah. things no, it's not random. Together. The guy's no a badass. I mean, no he gets things done. But, but, but I think that talk about tying a bow on it, you nailed it. Ford's done nothing yes. for years yes. and years and years. And the problem is it's a behemoth. How does it offer? It can't pivot to a point where we're selling EV trucks. It's got too much weight carrying it down. Okay, okay. Coming up, a massive years-long fraud. The criminal charges facing Sam Bankman-Fried, who has just now been denied bail in the Bahamas, and what the company's new CEO had to say about the crypto exchange and how it was run. That is next. And talk about a social pariah. Lawmakers introducing a potential TikTok ban as privacy concerns continue to grow. The impact on the social stocks ahead. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. A Bahamian judge denying bail to Sam Bankman-Fried just in the last hour and remanding him to jail until February 8th. SBF facing multiple counts of fraud, conspiracy and money laundering. This coming as House lawmakers grilled new FTX CEO on Capitol Hill today. Elon Moy has been covering the fallout. She's got the latest. Elon. Yeah, Melissa, current FTX CEO John Ray testified before the House Financial Services Committee for about four hours today. He flat out denied several of the claims that Bankman Fried has made in recent weeks. He said it's not credible that this was somehow all just a big mistake, that it's not accurate that the U.S. division of FTX was fully solvent, and that FTX was not able to cover its liabilities on November the 7th, despite Bankman Fried's tweet to the contrary. This is really old-fashioned embezzlement. This is just taking money from customers and using it for your own purpose. Not sophisticated at all. Uh, sophisticated, perhaps, in the way uh, they were able to sort of hide it from people. Uh, 
frankly, right in front of their eyes. But this isn't this isn't uh, uh, you know sophisticated whatsoever. This is just plain old embezzlement. Ray also acknowledged that some customers and creditors may never get their money back. So far, he said his team has secured about a billion dollars. But Melissa, this is a painstaking process that he said is likely to take months. Back over to you. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington for us. Um, Dan, we were chatting about this earlier, and it's just astounding how many investors invested in Sam Bankman-Fried and in this platform. Yeah, I think it's an indictment, I think, of the period that we've been in. A lot of people are going to like point fingers in a lot of different spots here. And again, obviously, he's a, a total fraud, as our friend Terry Duffy um, said ver- on our show yeah. here a couple weeks ago. And there was very few people to see it. And I guess the thing that we all think about is people have been in the markets, we've seen these booms and bust cycles. There needs to be levels of due diligence that exist. And the fact that so many sophisticated investors or spokespeople were just throwing money at her or taking his money, that's the other thing. It just seemed like, um, again, going into the next cycle, if we're going to have another bull run, it has to be founded on, I I think, better due diligence and the way we kind of think about the next craze and who the people getting away from the cult of personality of some of these situations and really digging in. Yeah, that's what happens when free money is out there, right? You're teeing me up there. No, no, because we're going to go to break. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up, social stop with the growing pressure on TikTok and its parent company, ByteDance. How option traders are navigating a potential ban for the popular social app, the action when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. The future of TikTok in the U.S. growing more uncertain as Florida Senator Marco Rubio unveiled bipartisan legislation that would ban the use of the Chinese viral video app. The latest proposal coming after Utah and Alabama became the latest states to block TikTok, TikTok from state government devices. U.S. social media stocks were higher today with Pinterest leading the gains and Meta climbing more than 4%. And options traders are betting there is more upside for one of these names. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Yep, so Snap traded over 1.7 times its average daily call volume. The busiest options were the December 10 calls that expire at the end of the week. We saw a block of 6,600 trade for 16 cents, that part of 45,000 that traded all day. Buyers of those calls obviously betting that Snap could get back above 10 by the end of the week. And as you mentioned, Pinterest also saw well above average daily call volume. And that, unlike Snap, did hold on to its early gains today. Bono, when you like any of these social stocks? Yeah, but I mean, particularly given the backdrop, I think, honestly, if, if TikTok were to get banned, I think it's a boon for all of them. I think Snap probably has, like, the closest in terms of, like, what the actual consumer offering is. All right. Mike, thank you. Mike Co. for more Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. And uh, this is a live look at uh, in the Bahamas. This is Sam Bankman-Fried. You see him there exiting the courthouse. He has been uh, ordered to report back to prison where he will be held until February 8th. So Sam Bankman-Fried denied bail, and here he is uh, exiting that courthouse. Apparently, you know, in response to the decision, he hugged his parents. He shrugged his shoulders. He was visibly disappointed. Here he is um, in the custody of the Bahamian authorities. Um, the judge jailing the uh, FTX founder until the case resumes again on February 8th. So we will uh, continue watching this story for you. Okay. I think we can do like one quick final trade. 
It's your show. I think Jack. Jack's fired. Uh, not, here. Go ahead, Let's go with Moderna, but it's got to hold $200. I don't, I don't like it here below. you got to hold $200, Moderna. Yeah. We only got one more, so Guy. Win resort, sister. Jack. <laughs> what am I, Swiss cheese? Yep. Yeah. Thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.